You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Tonight we'll begin by reading Galatians 5 verses 1 through 15. We won't study all 15 verses tonight. That's too big a chunk. And last uh, week, uh, we studied verses 1 to 6. Uh, tonight, we'll have another significant portion of that, though. Uh, this section, which basically is Paul's uh, closing argument, his conclusion in regard to the things he's trying to convince the Galatian brethren of, of doctrinal matters. After verse 15, we'll go into the ethical section the moral section, the application section of Christian uh, doctrine to our lives. And we'll have the famous section on the fruit of the Spirit uh, to come. Uh, But in this section tonight, uh, that closing argument, we'll read it in its entirety and then look at verses 7 through 12. Again, last week we looked at verses 1 to 6. And next time, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 13 to 15. So we see again, Galatians 5, beginning verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, again, this is circumcision as of theological importance, not just a medical procedure, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who received circumcision, that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcised nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. But the ones who is the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren... If I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called for freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. All right, so again, that's the wrap-up of the argument of the book. The main point was that, as it was stated in chapter 2, verse 16, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So even we who have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, 
no one will be justified. Abraham was the example of that. Quoting Genesis 15, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Paul would later talk about circumcision and point out that this statement of salvation by imputing righteousness based on faith predated circumcision and was based on the promise of Genesis 12 that all nations be blessed, as we saw in chapter 4 regarding the things of God done in Christ Jesus. So, we are who are of the faith, chapter 3, verse 7, are the sons of Abraham. The Jews and the Judaizers thought, well, we're connected to Abraham. Paul says, no, we are better connected by faith, by the spirit of Abraham, by the promised Abraham, not the physical genealogy of Abraham. And he said at the end of chapter 4, it's as though Abraham had two sons, which in reality, he actually had more than that, but the two sons under consideration were Isaac and Ishmael. And he said, okay, you guys, we'll grant you that you're physically descendant from Abraham, but so was Ishmael. And what did that get him? And so there was two mothers, uh, one of of the flesh and one of the promise. And we are heirs of Abraham by the free woman, by Sarah, where you guys are relying mainly on physical connection. You guys are by Hagar, and you are still in slavery, because the law was a tutor, a schoolmaster, a disciplinarian, to bring us to Christ. And if you're still under the tutor, you're treated, and this was in chapter 3, at the beginning of chapter 4, you're treated like a, a slave in all things, even though it's intended that one day you inherit them. But now, you're under that arrangement, it's as if you were a slave. So this is what he means by, we are called to freedom of brethren. Jesus had the same conversation With the Jews, when he told them, uh, he said, uh, you are enslaved and I will set you free. They said, we're Abraham's descendants and we've never been enslaved to anyone. Well, that wasn't true. Read the history of the captivity. But then they said to Jesus, "How how is it you say we will be free? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains. So if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. Now that's what Paul's arguing here, that we were called to freedom. So uh, Paul had pointed out we were called to freedom and we received the Spirit in the first half of his closing argument. And now in this next segment of his closing argument, he's going to talk about uh, those people who are bringing this teaching of slavery again, bringing this teaching of the law to them, and he's going to point out what it is that they are doing. What they are doing, we will find, is they are hindering, they are disturbing, they are persecuting, and they are troubling faithful brethren. And so uh, that'll be our study tonight. Galatians 5, 7 to 12, the enemies, the opponents, those not holding true the gospel, their effect on the people of hindering, disturbing, persecuting, and troubling. And this horrible list of things here, this is what we might normally expect of those outside the church, such as those from the synagogues in Thessalonica, as we've been studying at another time in First Thessalonians, or of the, uh, the seven churches of Asia, where it talks about the synagogue, not as a place of God, but as a place of Satan, speaking of it as a synagogue of Satan. We'd expect maybe from the synagogue down the street 
to have these things. Hindrances, disturbances, persecutions, and troubles. But what we end up finding is we find them here at this place in the church of God and among the brethren. So first, they're hindering Paul, and they're hindering the brethren. Verse 7, you were running well. You believed the gospel. I taught you the gospel. You accepted it. You received it. On a couple of times, you know, from the book of Acts, uh, Paul had been through this area again uh, without uh, much trouble. Uh, They had obeyed the gospel. They had lived the gospel. They'd been faithful to the gospel. But now that he's away for another time, uh, they've got problems. Who hindered you? He'd already asked them, who's bewitched you? Uh, who, why is it that you've gone to another gospel? Not really another, not really a gospel. What is this hindrance? What has caused you to do this? Verse eight, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. Now, it's important, I think, to note in this heresy, this statement, this persuasion, uh, this idea, this set of ideas, this mindset, it didn't come from the one who calls you. Now, you want to have God being the one that called them? Uh, you want to have Jesus being the one that called them? I'm really not sure uh, with the uh, pronoun uh, there, if it's uh, the Father or the Son, or maybe generally we're speaking of of, of uh, deity generally, maybe the Father, Son, and Spirit. But you didn't get this from God. What you got from God was you got the gospel. What you got was the calling of God, the calling through Jesus Christ, that's what you got, and that's what put you in the church. Now, it is true that there would be scriptural argument to back up the Judaizers' claims, right? When they, like in Acts 15, say, you can't be circumcised unless, or you can't be saved unless you uh, take circumcision uh, and, and follow the requirements of the law, they could quote from places like Genesis 17, that if one of Abraham's descendants was not circumcised, he'd be cut off from Abraham. And I can see how they would easily make that argument. Or they talk about other requirements of the law, that if the people didn't obey the Sabbath, or the people didn't do various other things required by the law and under the law, they would have the curses and the consequences that came by the law. And you could read those things about Abraham's physical descendants, And you could read those things about the law, and then you could apply them to Christians. And what we have Paul saying is, yeah, they may have some scripture, but they don't really have God. Because it is not God who tells Christians to be circumcised. Did God ever tell anybody to be circumcised? Well, certainly. And if you read those passages to Christians, applying them to Christians then, well, you've got a problem there because it wasn't addressed to them. Maybe the easiest place to ever see this concept is with Noah. Did God ever require anybody to build a large ark and gather up a large number of animals? Certainly he did. Would any of us think that instruction applies to us? No. we're, We're not facing a universal flood. We haven't been specifically commanded to do that. It would not be appropriate. It wouldn't solve any of our problems. It would be the wrong instruction uh, to the wrong people at the wrong time if we told people, you better get busy on your ark. 
So the same thing with circumcision. To tell people that of theological necessity and for spiritual connection to the things of God, you need to be circumcised. You're telling the wrong audience from the wrong passage at the wrong time. But you can still find that passage that says, if you're not circumcised, you'll be cut off. Right? You can find it, but it doesn't apply here. So it is with all these things of the law. They did not come from God. What, what came from God? The calling through the gospel. So what applies to the Christians? Gospel passages apply. So Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even though you were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So that's the God who called us. That's the God who saves us in Jesus Christ. And so it's the instructions uh, through Jesus and in Jesus, uh, those New Testament instructions, uh, we commonly call them by shorthand, that apply, right? So 1 Thessalonians 3, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. Yes, God calls us. Walk by the way that he calls us, right? He's faith, faithful as he who calls you, Paul told again, the Thessalonians. He'll bring it to pass. He'll be, bring what to pass? The promises of the gospel, not the promises of the law. There are many promises of the law that if you're faithful, you will live long in the land and have many descendants. Uh, you'll be in that land of flowing with milk and honey. It'll be a perpetual uh, covenant. God will keep you. But if we try and apply those to things of Christians, or if we try to apply that to other lands where Christians now live, not the land that God gave the Jews, it would be just as if we we're trying to apply circumcision, or if we we're trying to apply uh, the necessity of building an ark for salvation. It's out of time and out of place. So God did give those instructions to other people at other times, but not to you in the church. This persuasion didn't come from God even if some words of God are used out of place in order to prop it up. And so uh, we know that there's a great Judaizing influence on uh, those who follow the gospel from time to time. Here is one of the great outbursts of it. From time to time, we see it uh, today, where people will find things in the law, and they will tell us <coughs> what we should do. But, you know, one thing you don't find and I wonder why not, but I think I might could answer that. But do you find Christians going and tell the Jews how to keep the Sabbath? Do you find Christians using Christian principles telling the Jews how to keep kosher? Do you find Christians using uh, scriptural uh, arguments from the New Testament uh, to go back and tell the Jews how they ought to be sacrificing their lambs in a different way or doing it in a different manner. No. Because we'd recognize these are, these are Christian instructions, not Jewish ones. And so there is and has commonly been a great Judaizing influence on those who follow the gospel. It hasn't been so much one in reverse, has there? Because we recognize these are different administrations of different things at different times. But Paul said these things, these have a way of working on us. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And here Paul is uh, paraphrasing uh, Jesus. And, and he, he echoes what Jesus said. Now, leaven works. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's 
it's magic. Uh, Eleven works its its work uh, quietly and thoroughly. Uh, you're not going to have a, a loaf of bread that's leavened on one end but not the other. It'll leaven all of it. Now that can be used for good. Uh, Jesus used leaven in parables of the kingdom. What shall I compare the kingdom of God? Luke thirteen. It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until all was leavened. Well, there's a good influence of the gospel, but also leaven was used by Jesus as of an evil influence. Luke 12, 1, he began saying to his disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Well, what if you have just a little bit of hypocrisy running unchecked among the brethren? Well, that's corrosive. And that that's a, has a terrible, deleterious effect on us. In Matthew six, uh, excuse me, Matthew sixteen. Now here again, Jesus said this: the disciples on this occasion had forgotten to bring any bread. Now I don't know if that was just a fact of the matter, and Jesus used it, or it just happened to be uh, happened at the same time that Jesus gave this teaching. Or again, he said, "Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees." They began discussing this amongst themselves, saying. He said this because we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you don't have bread? He said, I don't care about lunch, right? I'm really not concerned. Uh, what, what do we know that Jesus could do about lunch? <laughs> Jesus could handle lunch. If, if it came down to it, if we needed that to be handled, Jesus could handle lunch. So don't you understand and remember the five loaves and the 5,000? And how many baskets full you picked up? Yeah, there were 12. Every one of you guys got to cart off a basket because there was 12 of those. Or the seven loaves and the 4,000. And how many large baskets you picked up? How is it you don't understand? I not, do not speak to you concerning bread. But beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood he, would, he did not say to beware uh, of the leaven of bread. That's a good thing but of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So he meant their teaching. So here Paul is echoing those words of Jesus. A little bit of this uh, law-keeping nonsense, a little bit of this, uh, we need Christ plus. We need Christ plus some of the law. We, the, the law brought us to Christ, but we need to bring some Christ, or we need to bring some law with us now that we're in Christ. He said that is a, that's a terrible thing. We, we have left those things of the guardianship, of the, of the tutelage, of that period of instruction. We have left that behind. We don't need that anymore. So first we saw they were hindering people with this. They were hindering people with this. And next we find that they were disturbing people. That's the next word that this text uses, uh, that this false doctrine uh, and uh, this, uh, you, need, you need to do some more than, than just Christ. It was a disturbance. Uh, there's another translation that says it was uh, uh, confusing. It, was, it had brought confusion. So verse 10, I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. The one who is disturbing or confusing. So somebody here is causing some confusion. Now, we notice Paul's graciousness here in approach. He lets the brethren walk back off of this. For those who have started to go down this path, he lets them walk back 
He gives them a path back to the fold. He says, I'm confident that you're, 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 you're with me on this, right? This is the gospel. This is from Christ, right? We're all here. And, and I'm confident in this and that you aren't going to adopt another view. And so some of the brethren are being influenced by this. And some people might have said, look, you have chosen the wrong position, right? He doesn't say that you've already chosen. He said, I, I know you won't adopt this. So he's not sealing them in as those who have taken this, but the one. And so he, he minimizes uh, the number of people causing the problem, uh, give, giving them, a, again, a gracious way. Uh, somebody might say to a fellow who came back, who said, uh, hey, didn't you adopt that view? Weren't you one of those guys? Well, he might say, uh, well, that was that was another one. Uh, that wasn't me, or I thought about it, but uh, I couldn't go with those fellows. So Paul gives him a way back. The one doing the disturbing, the one doing the confusing. Yeah, you know, I was listening to him for a while, uh, but uh, he had he he had confused us. And when we when we found out what he was really doing, what he was really saying, what he was really teaching, uh, then we realized we we really couldn't go back. We couldn't go along with that. So uh, Paul puts it as one, the one who's disturbing, or the one who's confusing. Uh, we note here the, the great warning that Jesus gave and that James gave in this regard, that Jesus said, by every careless word that men shall speak, they'll render according to uh, the render account on the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Um, Boy, make it, make it a point not to disturb or confuse anybody in gospel things in particular. And this is where James's warning comes in. Let not many of you be teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Don't, don't be so, too hasty to be everybody's instructor. Uh, we think about maybe some of these Jewish fellows who have now come to the gospel having been taught for so long under the close tutelage of the law. And man, they, they would have known a lot of law. They would have known a lot of passages. They would have known a lot of regulations. And, you know, Paul said, I count all that as loss for Christ. But it must be tempting and must have been tempting for some of them who in this Judaizing heresy, where the Judaizers would say, hey, look, you know all that law you memorized? We actually have a good use for that. Guess what? It's a good thing you know all that because now you can teach some of your Gentile uh, friends and your Gentile brethren, you can teach them that law because, you know, really they need to know it too. And so why don't you be one of our instructors, young man? Why don't you put all that knowledge that you've got in the synagogue school, why don't you put that to use? And that might be be mighty tempting, uh, somebody who... Uh, you know, an appeal to arrogance because, you know, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up. Here's a chance. Here's a chance for you to be a teacher and an instructor. Well, what did James say? Careful before you decide to be a teacher. What did Jesus say? Every word, every word you say, you'll give an account for. And so Paul says, look, don't think you need to do that. That's not from God. That, you, that I'm confident you are going to stick with Christ and not have another view. But that one disturber, that one confuser, that guy, whoever he is, 
he's going to render account. And when Paul says that, when he says, whoever he is, I wonder if maybe it wasn't some prominent person. And there's some, somebody who is of such prominence that you'd never think, well, that person would get crossways with the Apostle Paul, or Paul wouldn't call him out. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, too important or too much of a place. He's too well-placed. But earlier in Galatians, uh, the Apostle Paul had said, I had at one point in one place, I had to confront Peter. And so if he'll confront Peter, whoever this guy is, he's not too big to be rebuked, right? Uh, we have a problem in our nation today. We have all these uh, things that uh, people think, well, it's, it's too big to fail, or we can't let them fail because the consequences would be too strat- catastrophic if they fail. And then we prop them up so they don't fail. But is that better than letting them fail? Who knows? But there's nobody too big for the rebuke. There's nobody too big to be brought under judgment for wrong and for error. So these people have hindered. They've disturbed or they've confused. This, again, is what error always does. You think about this in contrast to the truth, uh, where the truth enlightens and the truth supports and the truth encourages. But now we find these fellows are also persecuting. Now, again, it's a striking word here to use in a, in a conflict inside the brotherhood. It's a striking word to use in a conflict among brethren. But brethren have persecuted brethren before, right? Remember that, that story that Paul brings up of Isaac and Ishmael. What did Ishmael, the son of Abraham, do to Isaac, the son, excuse me, Ishmael, the son of Abraham? Ishmael, the son of Abraham, what did he do to Isaac, son of Abraham? He persecuted him, right? And we also think about the conflict between Jacob and Esau. Or we think about the conflict between the 12 sons of Jacob, And who's on the poor end of that? Joseph is. And they meant it for evil, Joseph would later say, as as, uh, his life had worked out and he was uh, lifted to the heights of uh, of power and prestige in Egypt and his brothers were humbled before him. He tells them to assure them, well, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so through your bad action, uh, set in, in motion these things of God, by which I can now save the entirety of the family. But the statement that they meant it for evil is still there. So brother, meaning evil for brother. Yes, it, 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 it's happened and it's known among the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren of Abraham. And so that Jew would persecute Jew, or that now Christian would now persecute Christian? Sadly, it happens. So again, a striking word. Brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. And so if if I were preaching what you guys say, and I think from time to time we gather maybe by this statement that some would say, well, you know, Paul, uh, he's, he's, he's with us. Uh, I know you've heard he's not, but really, Paul... Or, you know, Paul Paul could be on our side. But Paul says, I'm not on their side. These guys, they persecute me. Uh, They don't receive me. Uh, He had said back in the last chapter, chapter 4, am I your enemy by telling you the truth? So there were those who regarded him as an enemy. 
And there are those who persecuted the Apostle Paul because he taught this of the cross, of the truth of the cross, and the cross which was a stumbling block. Then the cross, uh, the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. If we add circumcision, if we add the law back into Christianity, we have gotten rid of one of the major objections of the Jewish folks to the gospel. Now, wouldn't that be an advantageous thing to get rid of the stumbling block of the gospel? Right? And aren't there many today uh, who will deny some basic tenet of the gospel? Uh, uh, they'll sell it out because of persecution. And they'll get the, the jackals off their backs, at least for a time in a way, by selling out. Of course, usually that requires more selling out as time goes on. Uh, but you'll see from time to time those who bend and knuckle under. Well, in this case, Paul says, I'm not knuckling under. The cross to the Jews is a stumbling block in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The word of the cross, so the preaching of the gospel. The word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those who are being saved by it, it's the power of God. We preach Christ crucified, 1 Corinthians 1.23. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who have been called, both Jew and Greek, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so we can't resolve things with the world by changing the cross. Uh, what we need to do is we, we need to change the world best we can uh, through evangelism, through teaching people, and by, by showing our faith and confidence in the gospel. But we realize it's a stumbling block and it's foolishness. Uh, it is a cause, constant cause of problems with the world to stick with just the cross. Now, the reason we do so is quite obvious, because on the cross, Christ bore our sin. 1 Peter 2, 24, he bore our uh, sins in his body on the cross. So we need the cross and all it says. At the, cr at the cross and on the cross uh, was the law ended and the debts uh, we had run up of sin, uh, abolished. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgression, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Or Ephesians 2, he reconciled the Jew and the Greek on the cross. He is our peace. He made both groups into one. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He abolished in his uh, flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he himself might be or might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. Or Colossians 1.20 that he might reconcile all things to himself, having made peace to the blood of his cross, that I say all things, whether on earth or in heaven. So, yeah, the, the cross was a shameful thing. The cross, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, from the book of Deuteronomy, quoted in Galatians 3. This word of the cross, which is foolishness to the world, and a stumbling block to the Jews, we can't get rid of it. We can't. Uh, modify it. We can't downplay it. Uh, we can only make it what it is. His sacrifice for our sins 
and our reconciliation to God. And Paul said, persecute me for that message if you want, but that's the message. And so I'm not changing it so you won't persecute me. And if I have changed it, if some are saying I agree with them, then why am I being persecuted? And so it is the cross and the thing that Christ did there. It's all that Christ taught about it and all that we are taught in the gospel about it. The centrality of this event, the cross, this is what we cling to. We cling to that work of Christ rather than works of the law or other things that anyone might add. As the English hymn writer said, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Vile I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. So it's it's the cross, all up, down, and sideways. It, it's the cross in every way. And if I preach anything else, I wouldn't be in this trouble. And the same with Christians. This exclusive message of in Christ and in Christ alone, in his atoning death, his making propitiation for our sin, bridging the enmity that was caused by our sin between us and God, that God was in the world reconciling himself uh, back to us through the cross, him to us, us to him, making us one uh, with him, bringing us into his family and pronouncing us uh, forgiven. This is the thing Paul says, I'm preaching and I'm not preaching anything else. And if you want the law, you can have the law, go ahead. You're under obligation to all of it, but you can't have that in Christ. So you guys are troubling yourselves and you're troubling us and we wish you'd cut it off or cut it out. Actually, he does say pretty well implies cut it off. Would that, and this is what we'll stop tonight, this last verse, would that those who are troubling you would even, and this translation says, mutilate themselves. The old King James says, I wish they would even cut off, or I would they were even cut off, which troubles you. Or the American Standard, I would that they, those who unsettle you would go beyond circumcision. I think that's what Paul's pretty clearly implying. You want to go cutting? Circumcise and keep going. This word for cut um, is the word used when we talk about an amputation. In Jesus, in Mark 9, and parallel passages in other Gospels and other places, but uh, you'll recognize this passage. Mark 9, 43, if your hand caused you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to having two hands go to hell, the unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot caused you to stumble, cut it off. Or it's better to enter life lame than having two feet cast to hell. So that's when Jesus used this exact same word, which appears about 10 times in the New Testament. Mostly from Jesus on these cut off your hand or cut off your foot passages. It's the same word that's used uh, in John when Peter drew his sword and cut off the ear of the uh, servant of the high priest. 
It's uh, it's that that's the word that's used when he when he cut off his ear. It's one used in a non bodily form one time in uh, the New Testament as well. In Acts twenty seven, when there was uh, Paul was in the boat that ended up being shipwrecked, and uh, there was a little boat that was towed along, you know, kind of the the captain's dinghy or uh, you know the, the the shore tending boat that they carried with them on the main boat. Uh, when some of them were going to try and escape in that, and Paul said, no, we all need to stay together on the main boat, uh, there were orders that the soldiers uh, cut the ropes. So it says, the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat, and they let it fall away. So when they cut the ropes, it's this word. That's the one non-bodily use in the New Testament. In this passage, what's the prior cutting under consideration? Now, it's circumcision. And Paul says, well, and I think the American Standard kind of gets the idea here. It says, would go beyond circumcision. It's not very often the American Standard sort of paraphrases the intention because uh, he says, I wish they would just cut, cut themselves. I wish they'd cut it. Um, and uh, yeah, and you know, in the, in the late stage paganism, which is when the gospel came along, in late stage paganism, there was in the neighboring region of Phrygia, uh, the center for the worship of two gods, Attis and uh, Sibyl. And Attis had, this is the story of the pagans, Attis had fallen in love with Sibyl, but he couldn't have her, or excuse me, she couldn't have him. Uh, he, he didn't love her. And so uh, she had him castrated. And so there was this pagan cult where in their devotion, uh, to this god, uh, this or actually, I guess it's the goddess Sybil. This is the female version. The, the people, the the the, the devotees uh, and and some of the priests of Sybil, in devotion to their god, they had a castration ceremony. And the most devoted, the most devoted followers in this cult were well known to be castrated people. And Paul is saying, look, if you guys want to depend that much on cutting, well, then cut away. Because we don't want you troubling the church around here. Uh, take this take this uh, addition to the gospel. Take this adding to the work of the cross, some of the things of the law, which should have led you to the, to the cross. But instead of leading you to the cross, you want to have some of the cross and some of that too. He said, if you guys want to go to cutting, Go to cutting, guys. Get after it. And so, uh, as I say, this is sort of rhetorically the 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 the, the most bombastic, uh, the most um, direct, uh, kind of the, the high point of the argument. There's not much further you can go than after you tell your opponents to just go to cutting on it, boys. There's not much else you can tell them. And so uh, that's sort of the high point. Or low point. That's sort of the the uh, uh, the the main end of the final argument. So you say that you don't you can't come out of the gate with that. But in the final argument, after having put it all together uh, and logically laid it out, uh, that's what Paul says about these opponents. You guys are hindering us, disturbing us. You're persecuting me. You're troubling everybody. Just move on and. If you want to go do that business, go take it someplace else and and do it to do it to its fullness its fullest 
extent. But the next verse, which our study next week will be, Lord willing, but you were called for freedom, brethren. You weren't called for this mutilation. You weren't called for this nonsense. You weren't called to tie the law up and drag it over into the church and bring it in Christ. You were called for freedom. So let's talk about that next time. You were called for freedom. You will love your neighbor and use your freedom not to bite and devour, but to serve one another. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.